Welcome to another exciting episode of the 90s Rock Podcast. I am your host, Rob Ebert. And joining me on the other line, if you can call Zoom another line, I'm not sure what the <laughs> correct phrase is, but is my good friend and drummer of the band Raw, Dave Perry. He's back from off the road and he's eager to share the stories of cocaine strippers and everything in between. Isn't that right, Dave? And it's so right. Uh, I've signed a lot of non-disclosures, but I'm going to break them all on this episode. Uh, also, I'm going to do my little thing here. Uh, thanks for listening to the Mind Meld podcast with Dave Perry. This is the Mind Meld podcast. I am Dave Perry. Very happy to be sitting down yet again with my good friend on the other side of the country, Rob Ebert and the 90s rock music podcast online. Um, last time we spoke was, I think, a week before I went on tour with Raw. Yep. I, I was learning your training regimen. And yeah. Yeah. You were doing some crunches and hydrating. <laughs> lots of stretches, lots of stretches. Um, yeah. It's uh, that feel. How, so, how long ago? That was probably six weeks ago. Almost yeah. I was going to say two months, almost two months. It's weird, man. Like that amount of time. To, like, it feels like a lifetime for you. With, it does. With like everything you, that happened that we'll get into. It was yeah, not, it was a very eventful tour. It was, yes, for sure. For a, a multitude of reasons. Yes. I'll also say there's a great video out now. Uh, I believe it's on your website, Fear of Water, and on YouTube, like a day in the life of being in the band. Yes. I a, highly recommend people check out. I absolutely did not watch it during work today. <laughs> um, did you? So I, I had people reach out. And specifically ask for that because um, I was posting little clips throughout the tour. Well, first of all, I got this really super nice camera, a Sony a A47 um, that I, I connected with my friend who's a professional videographer. And I was like, I want the absolute nicest camera for the dumbest person. Um, just because like I don't I'm not super knowledgeable on that stuff. I don't have the time to focus on that. It had to be a lower priority. So basically, like what's an incredible, like unbelievable point and shoot camera that I can basically put on a tripod and walk away from. The first time you used that and posted a video, everyone was nice to you. Everyone else was nice to you and was like commenting on the content. And I was like, <laughs> what camera is that? It does look spectacular. <laughs> yeah, I'm super like, I'm really, really happy with it. It's literal um, like commercial quality. Like there are production studios that use the A7, the A4 series of cameras to shoot like broadcast stuff. Yeah. If it's a YouTube um, video, but I mean, it looks like a, someone shot a pro documentary and, and at the end you kind of, they, they shoot a couple of songs and like, even though the camera's kind of far back in the room, like the sound quality amazed me. Like you guys sound really good on that camera. I, I was really happy. So that is a, I have like a road mic, like we're using, uh, but like a boom mic that attaches to the Sony for that. But it's still like, a just kind of a unidirectional pick up the room sound mic. Yeah. Even like Way better, you know, sometimes people go to concerts and they turn Don't on like your cell phone. And oh my God. Terrible, yeah. I'm like terrible. Brutal. Yeah. yeah fucking brutal is, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, like it just, it's, it's weird. To, this is something that has not left me every single day. This crosses my mind that like I have entered a part of my life where I am living and doing a realistic version of a dream that I've had my entire life. Um, and it's, it's awesome. It comes with a suite of ups and downs and complications and considerations. And, 
um, you know, I've never had any sort of delusions of grandeur of like, um, if, if anything ever happened that if it would go, if, you know, zero to 60 immediately, that just unbelievable, like posh, cozy tour lifestyle, you know, $800,000 bus, um, you know, huge parties every night, super leisurely, you know, selling out stadiums, not blah, blah, blah. No, you guys, you guys look tired. You were logging some serious miles. Yeah, I think we did about uh, at the point that the remaining dates got canceled, which we'll get into. Um, I think we were in the neighborhood of 6,000 miles that we'd, we'd driven. And I have nothing to do with the pacing or scheduling of the tour. Um, there are people who like just that's their whole, you know, fucking thing, booking managers. Um, but it's pretty grueling. And, you know, I'll caveat that with this is a very first world problem, but like, the, the normal schedule for any day, and this was a 20 show run of, of tour is on the road, no later than 7am driving at least 300 miles. And in some cases we had, you know, six, seven, 800 miles to go between gigs. And with the exception of two days, um, it was always get, get to the destination and then immediately begin the process of like unload at the venue, sound check, meet the VIP people. Uh, that's like people who pay extra to like come to the sound check and meet the band and take pictures and sign photos and t-shirts and stuff. And then like get a meal together, maybe take a nap. And then the show starts at like, you know, doors open at six. First band is at seven. We, you know, we're the headliner. We usually went on around in between nine 30 and 10 30 shows done at like quarter to midnight, midnight. Um, and then, you know, we hang at the merch table and, Again, meet more people, take pictures, sell stuff until probably 1.30, then pack everything up, head back to the hotel for me. Um, you know, I, I filmed every single show from a different angle, plus like behind the scenes stuff. So I'd usually get back to the hotel, probably like 2.30, 2.45, take a shower, eat some fucking gas station food, uh, edit video, uh, you know, unload everything off my camera, get it charging so I could wake up with charged equipment the next day. Uh, I'm probably going to sleep at 3.30 for every night and then back on the road by seven every day and doing that 20 days in a row, uh, I'm sure did not help in the end result of everyone getting COVID. Um, after um, we played LA at the Whiskey A Go Go, which I think we talked about before I went on the road, like that was the, the number one show that I was looking yeah. forward to most. It's like a absolutely iconic, legendary if it had to happen, hey, at least it happened after that. I can't imagine it would be like, you know, the day before. Yeah, I would be super devastated. Um, yeah, we ended up having to, when we got into Vegas, which was the, the show the next day, um, not just members of our band, members of the, so there were three bands that were opening up for us on this tour. So like members of each of those bands, plus their like road crew, like sound guy, roadies, light people, bus driver, whatever, like many, many people were not feeling good for over the course of a week. And we all spent a ton of time together. Like, you know, we'd get meals together. Each band would spend a ton of time, like on their respective uh, bus or van getting to the venue. We all shared hotel rooms. So it was like pretty fucking inevitable and everyone was vaccinated. Um, but the lead singer of uh, one of the bands before the Vegas show was just like, I'm not doing good. I'm going to, I'm going to go take a COVID test and she tested positive and it just started this huge domino reaction that like, it was crazy how quickly it happened. Like three 30 I'm in Vegas, 
sound checking. We just met with VIPs, did autographs, took pictures. And by 4.30, I'm like booking my flight home. Um, and everything else is canceled. So we had to cancel two Arizona dates and then El Paso. And then the, the last show was supposed to be in Austin, Texas, which was like my homecoming show. And we had to cancel that. So that was a huge fucking bummer. But everything leading up to that was really cool and an amazing experience. And there's more dates coming later this year. Maybe we'll get to reschedule those dates. Maybe not. But um, yeah, man, it was, it was work, dude. Like it was not, um, it was enriching. It was creatively fulfilling, but like it was 0% of it was a party. Um, I just think a lot of people have that kind of stereotypical idea in their, their head about like, like you said in the opening, like sex, drugs, rock and roll hookers and blow like zero of that because we all took it seriously. And let's just think a lot of bands fuck up their, their career, their chance, the shot that they get because they they're trying to prioritize. Like they, they think that if they don't live like a rock star lifestyle while they're doing rock star things, that that somehow like cheapens the experience or makes them inauthentic, but then it can also be the thing that like sabotages yourself and none of us wanted that. So. Yeah. I've heard from, you know, interviews with, with other bands and things that it's like, you know, the grind really gets to you. And, but it's like that, however long you're on stage that hour or two hours, like that's what makes it all worth it. Did it feel that way for you? Did the, did the kind of tiredness melt away when you took the stage and have a screaming crowd and all that? Have you ever been drunk in a scenario where you are not supposed to be drunk or it's bad to be drunk, whether it's like a cop's talking to you or like your parents came home or something like that. And like, I feel like the human body has the ability to temporarily be like either sober yourself up or something like that. Like um, that's how I felt a lot of time, like leading up to the show starting um, like I was in pretty rough shape by the time I tested positive for COVID. Like I was dealing with really shitty symptoms for a while, but usually the like 40 minutes before the show and absolutely while I was on stage, I felt, amazing. It was just so much adrenaline and knew that like, you know, whether it was the whiskey or whether it was Laredo, Texas, which was by far the shittiest show of the whole tour. Um, I take it super seriously. And I was like, I'm going to fucking play. Like there's 10,000 people in the audience. But then as soon as I would get off stage, I'd be like, Oh God, <laughs> can't wait to sleep. Um, a big part of it too. It wasn't just the performance. Like honestly meeting fans after every show was incredible. And, you know, I'm removed from that because I didn't build this 20 year legacy that raw has, that has, it is bringing these people out and dude, like people drove four hours to, to certain shows. People brought their kids and the kids knew all the lyrics. We met people that had like a full sleeve of tattoo of, uh, raw lyrics. Um, the very first show that we played in San Antonio, the, one of the women who showed up for the VIP got Sahaja's the lead singer got his autograph on her arm and then immediately went to get it tattooed on her arm. So like, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. We just met so many people that had stories about how they met their like wife because of something to do with whether it was at a raw concert or because of, you know, something to do with the music that brought them together or people who like lost a loved one and they shared, like they bonded over raw and like the, in like the final days. Um, all that shit was amazing, man. Like, uh, and whether it's music that I wrote or not, it was an honor to be a part of that. And like to see like these people, not one person on the whole tour came up to me. It was like, you're not the original drummer. Fuck you. Get out of, you know, get out of my way. Like people were genuinely excited. And I, I took a great deal of pride, like sharing photos and videos 
of uh, of these interactions because it's just like so genuinely pure and happy and it was like uh, it was just like a drug man like it was uh, it was incredible and I I can't wait to do more of it I think we learned a lot from this run and how we can better pace ourselves better protect ourselves um, but COVID is still very much still alive you know it it fucked over a lot of people. Um, and you know, if some of us weren't vaccinated, we may have had a much, much rougher go of, of, you know, fighting it. So it's still a very real consideration in terms of like with this next leg of the tour that we're doing with Tantric in, uh, August, we have to think about like, what do we do for VIP or a fan interaction? Like, do we all get masked up or, you know, certain venues do, um, vaccination requirements. Like, I, I don't know, like there's, we're not going to do it the same way because we can't risk having another chunk of shows canceled because of COVID. So, right. Um, right. Yeah. You had yeah. mentioned, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to the highlights here in a second, but sometimes the uh, bad experiences can make the best stories. And you had mentioned the Laredo show, maybe not being the most stellar. Mm -hmm. is, is there a good story behind that or, or at least something you can laugh at now in retrospect? Yeah. I mean, we were, we were laughing about it in real time. Like you had to, there was, it, it would be, suicidal for morale and productivity to in the moment be like, this is bullshit. This is beneath us, whatever. But like, you know, we, we had those feelings, but just, you had to just live in the moment and enjoy it. So like a bunch of things went wrong in Laredo, including the fact that it just Laredo should not have been on uh, the tour. So like Laredo is for those who don't know, and I don't blame people who don't know it is a literal border town. Like, from where we played at a certain angle, you could see the border of Mexico. And it's, that's really far <laughs> fucking South. Like it's literally to Mexico. Um, so it was basically out of the way, no matter what, for any stop on the tour. But the day after Laredo, we played in Dallas, which is basically the top of Texas. Um, so it was just super inconvenient. And the juice was just not worth the squeeze, so to speak. And um, shit basically started off hilariously bad um, where the tour manager booked our hotel in Nuevo Laredo, which is actual Mexico. <laughs> it's a free Mexican vacation. Yeah. But you know, no one had their passport and, um, so, yeah, so shit just started like the venue was a fucking joke. Like the venue was definitely a place that like I would have played in college, um, where it's, basically a bar and the stage is like an area where maybe a pool table would normally be, but they just move that out of the way and like move in this like plywood stage. That's six inches off the ground. Sound system sucked. It was brutally high. It was 119 degrees while we were there. Um, the place was just basically made out of like reinforced sheet metal. And like the sign for the bar was just like a, a vinyl banner that was like zip tied to, to like a chain link fence outside. And um, you know, we still, the, the fans that did come to that were still awesome. We had great interactions and people were buying merch and hanging out, but like, it was just, like I said, just the juice was not worth the squeeze. Like it was not every other venue that we played is of, is of the like caliber that I would have expected for the tour and of the caliber that I would expect anytime I go to a show that I buy a ticket for essentially. And this felt like a local band playing. It was like one step up from like a band in your mom's basement. High, high school battle of the band. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, that leads me to my next question. I've got two burning questions for you. Hit me. Number one, we've been, we've been hinting at it, but what was it like to play the whiskey in LA and just walk into that room knowing like Led Zeppelin, the Stones, Oasis, all these legendary bands have like played there, either great shows or legendarily bad shows, right. but just like, <laughs> just a definite spot in history. Like I had mentioned to you, like when you just take one of those bus tours through LA, yep, like, yep, yep, yep. you know, show us the Hollywood sign. Yep, yep. Like literally the whiskey is on that tour. Like that's how big it is. That just like Joe Schmo from Missouri is getting, you know, they're pointing it out to him and he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I know that. Um, incredible. incredible. Like, um, I'm so thankful for the experience when we were coming down, um, it's on the sunset strip and we, we came around the corner and saw raw on the marquee. And I just had like, my face started hurting from smiling. Like it was just this very, um, it's not like an ego thing. It was literally just like, sometimes it helps to have a, like a physical, tangible manifestation of the things that I've wanted and, and dreamt about for so long. Like seeing that was just like, I, I don't know. It's just fucking incredible, man. Like it, it's, um, it made me very proud. Uh, it, it, uh, there was, you know, hanging out backstage and in the green rooms and, and thinking about the people who have graced that stage and, and, and been in those backstage rooms. And like, I don't, it's, uh, it was like a, a very literal bucket list moment for me. Um, so even if the show was a disaster, which it was not, um, I still would have just been thrilled for the opportunity. So yeah, man, it was fucking, it's fucking great. I had a great, are there any like cool audience. artifacts backstage or like this? Oh is, yeah. Dude. You know, yeah. This guitar pick or something. <laughs> there, There is a, I don't know why there is a, like a library of hundreds of movies on VHS. Uh, I don't know why there just is. Um, but yeah, it's like pictures, artwork that other bands have done. Uh, I don't know who did it, but in, in like one of the um, like backstage green rooms is a giant like anthropomorphic cock and balls with like a face and arms and legs that is jerking off his own dick and then ejaculating more penis and testicles. Um, and it was just if that's not art, I don't know what it is. But uh, yeah, so there was there was some some good shit like that. And then like, you know, signed drum heads and lanyards and people who leave messages on the wall and um, you know, a lot of signed albums from bands who have played there. And like, there's been multiple bands that have released live albums that were recorded at the whiskey too. So like that stuff was framed as well. And yeah, man, I met people from bands that I love. I met, you know, record producers there that had worked on, um, on a lot of my favorite albums and it was cool. Like, yeah, it was just a, it was a fucking awesome experience, man. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Burning question number two, a little bit out of left field for you, Ooh. but uh, as some people know, and some people may not, you also are the owner of a thriving social media business based out of Austin. Correct. How, how does one go on a grueling tour such as this and also maintain that business at the same time? Good question. Um, I, had about two months heads up of preparation, knowing that this was coming down the pipeline. And I would say it ebbs and flows, but usually 50% of my business is very long-term, like multiple year long retainer based relationships. And 50% is short-term project-based stuff. 
um, so I very intentionally scoped out existing work to basically be wrapped up by the time tour started and, and wasn't prospecting any new business, uh, as well as I brought on and still have them and they're great. Um, I have two full-time employees now and, um, you know, initially you've, and you've been in this role where you like, you bring on someone junior, when you bring on a resource to help you, it actually creates more work for you at first, getting them up to speed. Yeah. 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 So getting ready for tour while doing that was actually pretty stressful for me, but I'm so glad that I did that and made the investment because it really alleviated a lot of my concerns, uh, once I was on the road. But that being said, you know, I spent so much time on the bus that like, I, if I wasn't sleeping, I was just sitting in a chair on a moving vehicle going through the desert or something. So a lot of of van time. Yeah. So you could say that I had more dedicated time to work during the day on tour than I do during a a normal day at home because I'm whatever running errands or taking other meetings or going out to eat or whatever. So um, it it worked out good. It was in the, the combination of planning and bringing in additional resources and scaling down my workload uh, definitely helped. And I think I'm going to stay at this level for a while. The work-life balance here is really critical. And I mean, to be totally honest, I would gladly close my business right now if if that's what I needed to do to, to keep the music opportunity going. But fortunately, that's not the case. But it's music is absolutely the priority right now. So um, yeah, I'm going to just, I'm keeping things relatively lean right now. You got to keep the music alive. Absolutely. So you were on tour for, uh, let's say like a month and a half. I know that's a really short period of time. You had to learn a lot of new songs and playing live. I'm just curious, do you feel like you're a better drummer now or is it, is it not like a, like a metric that you're following? You're still. It's a good question. I guess I'm curious. I guess, can you you learn things from playing live that you couldn't when you're just playing in like your home studio? hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think just by the nature of doing something longer at one point than you had done it at a previous point, um, in an, in a sense, you do get better just by logging more hours doing something. Um, but yeah, I think I think I've I'm a better drummer now because of this tour experience and like the logistics of everything around it, um, or even the like um, body, like drummer health. I guess would be a good way of saying it. Like the amount of things that I've learned and changed and put work into in terms of like maintaining my body and stretching exercises and certain supplements and um, like two hours of drumming. And in a live setting where I beat the fuck out of my drums. Like I, every night I get off stage and like wring my shirt out. Like I, I leave it all on stage and it is, I would say very much so the equivalent of boxing for two hours. Like it is absolutely exhausting and it's super high impact. So like, it's really important that I take care of my body. Otherwise it's not, this is just, isn't sustainable. Um, the same way that a singer can't be like, smoking a pack a day and you know you have to go on vocal rest you have to do warm-ups shit like that so uh i think in that sense i'm a better musician for having this you know pro level experience under my belt now and i will continue to expand upon that um skill wise yeah i was gonna say when you were down by mexico you could have uh ran across the border and got some shark's blood or something you know they have those alternate treatments there that are 
yeah, only man. available south of the border, but I hear sure. they can really help. Yeah, like tiger penis, powder, powdered tiger penis that you snort. Absolutely. Sure. But yeah, man, it's, um, I like the opportunity. Kind of similar, like I like the opportunity in, in the field that you and I are in, like to work with a new client that's in a field or genre or, you know, sub demographic that I don't have a personal connection to. I like the opportunity to become immersed in that and, and learn the like subculture and, and, and the lingo and everything. So same thing with this. Like I like, I loved getting to know all the other bands and understanding like truly how the sausage is made from, you know, soup to nuts from transportation to logistics, to sound, to lights, to recording, to payment, to uh, lodging, everything like that. Um, so yeah, I think this is a very enriching experience just in terms of like, of this being something I want to be like a professional at where it is my primary source of revenue. Um, I think I improved a lot in that sense from this experience. That's awesome. Do you want to share any further thoughts or should we go into the categories? Um, it's gotta be, is there some topic we missed or that you've been dying to get off your chest? Not really, man. Just, I'm, I'm a grateful, grateful man. Um, I guess the only other thing I would say is that, um, so Sahaj and I, the whole impetus for this coming together was that in December of last year, Sahaj and I spent three weeks together recording my fear of water EP. That I was going to ask you, is this yet. kind of a prelude to like fear of water going out on the road? Not that I know of just to be totally honest, I would much rather put time and effort into something established like yeah. raw than fear of water. I was going to say, if you need like a triangle player, I could oh, come sure. up with you. Yeah. Oh yeah. You got it. We'll get you in wardrobe and everything. It'll be fucking awesome. Um, but so that album has not seen the light of day and but Sahaj and I had time during the tour to like dig into some of that. And I would say it's highly likely that that album will see the light of day by mid July. So I'm very excited about that. Cool. More Fuck breaking yeah. news on the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there an album title or anything else you can share with us? Nothing confirmed. It's going to be yeah. awesome. Keeping and hopefully there's going to be some, uh, some guest spots from some very legitimate uh, rock figures that I admire greatly. It's definitely like a part of why, not why I did this, but like part of this being super exciting for me is the idea of like getting some singers and guitar players on this album of like bands that I love. So do you need a spoken word intro from a well-renowned podcaster for anything? Yeah. I can think of one. (laughs) Yes. In a world. (laughs) Yeah. Let's do it. Cool. All right, let's take a quick break. All right, I'm back. Back with the king of beers, baby. <laughs> it's not the king of it's the banquet beers. I know. How was uh uh is that golden Colorado? Yeah, yeah. The wedding was in Denver, and then we just took an extra day Sunday afterwards to go exploring. Just Did hiked you- through hiked through there. Did you not do the Coors tour? Did not, no. Huge mistake. It was Sunday. I'm I'm not even 100% sure they were open. That is possible. Um, But yeah, there was that really nice, like, it was like two-level bar that had four restaurants in it. It was like a really, and they give you just like the swipe card that's connected to your credit card. 
Sure. Students go, and then they had like 30 taps on the wall. But of course, I only drank the banquet beer. Of course. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Golden's pretty small. It reminds me a lot of those towns out west. Like you're just walking through and a, there's a, some little hotel and it's like Ulysses S. Grant stayed here during yeah. the Civil War. Right. Like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's crazy. All right. So I got two, I got two different categories. Let's do it. One you're going to be familiar with and one is going to surprise and delight you. I love both surprise and delight. All right. So back by popular demand, we are going to do take it or leave it. Ooh. And the people then, have uh, been clamoring for that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Then <laughs> hundreds of comments on the social <laughs> media and then a brand new category called over or under, Ooh. which I'm excited to introduce. To the it. All right. So first one might be a little near and dear to your heart. Take it or leave it. Drummers as singers. So I'm talking about when the guy goes behind the kit, drums, and also sings the song. Not as like a gimmick thing. Like that is like the band's lead singer is the drummer. Well, I, it could be, but I, I, there's two, two examples I'm thinking of. So Three Doors Down, Brad Arnold, the lead singer, started as a drummer, and I've seen them. And for a couple songs, he'll go back on the kit and also sing. Mm. And same deal with Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons. He'll gotcha. sing a song or two. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, but Mumford and Sons didn't play the Trump inauguration. So no, you know, that's true. Not as legit. Um, so for, for me, I, I'm, I'm leaving it. Why? I just, I just found it. I find it really distracting. And it almost goes back to like what you learn in like speech class or just performing. Like you don't want to be nervous for the performer in any way because it really takes you out of the moment. Mm -hmm. And this is like a maybe a unfounded feeling, but I'm just like, gosh, I hope he can pull this off. I hope it's it's probably affecting the vocal performance a little bit. Uh, and it just it just took me out of the moment more than any, than I thought. Like, oh, that's really cool. So would it be different for? I'm trying to think of a good like the first example that comes to mind is Phil Collins, who started off as the drummer for Genesis and then became the lead singer of Genesis and then became, you know, Phil yeah. Collins, solo artist, yeah, I know, like yeah. legendary drummer, but the front man of the band, not the drummer of, yeah. you know, Phil Collins. Um, but you I just would keep coming back to the word distracting for some reason. I, okay. I don't know if I can fully defend that tonight, but that's just the word that comes to mind. I find it distracting. So during the singer, during the raw tour, there was a, there's a part of the set where Sahaj and I switched places um, during the set. And, but it was just instrumental. And so he just played drums and I was playing guitar up front. Um, and I loved doing that. And you could tell like the audience was super into that every night. Um, but yeah, the idea of like a more of a gimmick thing, like I'm going to do the next song while playing drums. Um, if you guys can pull it off, cool. But I would agree that there is a distraction factor. It, undeniably, it's it's affecting the vocal performance because you're like doing cardio now. Um, uh, so yeah, I guess if I had the choice, I would leave it. You're only left with two choices. Yes, leave it. it. Yeah. All right, next one. All right, I really like this one. Of course, I wrote these, so I, I like them all. <laughs> all right, so take it or leave it. This happens a lot. I have three examples I can think of. That moment when the band tells the crowd to get absolutely silent so they can play something unplugged and acoustic. 
I've seen this with Guster. Mm-hmm. I've seen it with Ed Sheeran. Okay. And I've seen it with, once again, Mumford and Sons. <laughs> All to varying degrees of success, depending on, I think, the intoxication level of the audience. Sure. Uh, I saw Foo Fighters do this because they did a whole acoustic tour and they it's prefaced a thing. it. It's a thing. Yeah. They prefaced it with like, we're going to try this once. And if, you know, someone or all of you decide to fuck it up, then we're going to just, you know, show's going to go on, which is the smart thing to do. Cause that could just become literally the same speech Mumford and Sons gave. And they okay. even referenced like, it's don't, don't even worry about it. You want to have a good time. We'll just go right into the next song. Right. And right. But they actually made it through in this case. I think it's really cool, man. Like, I think the idea of um, there's a rare intimacy to that, and it's um, in written music, there are rests. Like, rests in written music is when you are not playing, but there's something interesting to me about the fact that it's so intentional that it's literally written out, and it's not just like, it, it doesn't just say don't play. Like, there's iteration there is an eighth rest there's a 16th rest there's a whole rest there's a whole dotted rest like to me what you don't play is just as important as what you do play if it's you know intentionally used and placed and just like you could use that same metaphor for talking like listening is just as important as talking um but all of that is to say that that makes in my mind that makes the audience a much more active participant in that song than you know singing along with the rest of the set like they're there is this like really beneficial mob mentality of like, we all need to work together right now to shut the fuck up, to enjoy this special moment together. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. This may surprise you. I didn't want to tip my hand, but I am taking it. (laughs) I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool when they're able to pull it off. Yeah. And it just adds like, it adds another layer another dimension to the show that can be like I case in point, I'm still talking about Mumford and Sons doing it like sure. five years later at this point. Sure. I'm not talking about anything else they played, you know, on electric or whatever. On that same show, is that is the same show? Did Marcus go back and do a, a song on the drums? I believe so. Yeah. Well, what an emotional roller coaster for you. <laughs> it was up and down. It was all over the place. Um, so on a somewhat related note, I saw Pussifer last night. And Pussifer is Maynard James Keenan's new project Maynard is the lead singer of the band tool and I believe by a a set of I think relatively universally agreed upon criteria that he is one of the greatest rock singers certainly of our generation if not all time um but I think a lot of people who might disagree with that is because tool is a very specific niche thing like they're a big band but it's also like not everyone has an appetite for 14 minute yeah. songs in crazy time signatures, you know, called prison sex and stink fist. So uh, a lot of people are out, but if you're a tool fan, you're not like halfway in. Yes, exactly. Like all the way in. Yeah. It's kind of like people who are a vegan. Like, how do you know someone's a vegan is they don't shut the fuck up about it. So um, like everyone at the show last night was wearing tool stuff. Like it is a lot of a part of people's identity. Like if you like them, you fucking love them. And a lot of times those people will be like, look down on you if you don't like Tool. Um, But Maynard, in all of his projects, but very specifically with Pussifer, has this like super hardcore, zero tolerance cell phone policy. And there were signs all over, even before you got in the venue, they, in fact, they had people standing outside, like getting eye contact with people and being like, I need verbal confirmation that you understand 
that if any usher or whatever even sees you on your phone, let alone catches you filming or taking photos, there's no warning. You are gone. Uh, no refunds or whatever. And I know that Chappelle has had something very similar, but that's different in my mind because basically at a rock show, you could probably get away with it and not most people wouldn't notice as opposed to like you're sitting at a stand-up show where there's one person on stage talking and it's just like more of a distraction that way. And I feel like the, the, I can see more why a stand-up would not want their stuff released through like a cell phone as opposed to through like a highly curated thing uh, with great intent. Um, I've never been to a, a, a show that had such a strict and well-enforced no cell phone. Did you see someone get kicked policy. out? Nope. No, everyone. I mean, they, I mean, it was even reinforced kind of in a very funny way at the start. They were the going to bring the hammer down. Yeah. Tool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they literally talk about how these, there was this whole video about how anyone caught on their cell phone will be dragged outside by their genitals and turned into like ground meat and packaged in spam cans. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And then like at the the last song of the show, he said like, if you want to, you can pull out your stupid fucking phones and film this. And like a ton of people did. And I'm not saying like, I'm above that, but like, it just felt like it, the spirit of the show is like this show in its purest form has everyone 100% focused looking at it, you know, with their eyes, not through their phone, not being distracted by anything else. So it's just, I felt no desire to, to film it. Like, it was just like, this is cool. Like this is super fucking rare that you get to go to a big show like this and be a hundred percent surrounded by people fully engaged and not on their phones. So I'm, I'm for that as well in a big way. You're taking it, taking it. All right. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that, I think that's cool. There's something to be said. Well, there's a lot to be said actually about what you just look at like photos of concerts now and everyone has their phone raised. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And just, I love going back and watching concert footage from late nineties, early two thousands. And you even go in like the YouTube comments and there's all these people calling it out, not a cell phone in sight. And it is super refreshing. Yeah. And so th this is kind of a funny thing. So panic at the disco originally started as like this, I don't want to say underground, but they started on purevolume.com. Okay. Uh, so they, it was just like in their part of that main emo wave with like fall out boy and taking back Sunday, like right before that blew up. And I saw them a couple of times like, oh yeah, this is a really cool band. So, but long story short, I saw them again, like 10 years later. Now they're one of the biggest rock bands. If they still fit under the rock category, if they're not just pop, like in the United States and it they must've been booked right before they blew up. Cause they're opening for Weezer of all things. Come. And it's like just two different, there's absolutely two different age demographics. Sure. At this yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my, the point is, so I was, I was kind of in the middle of the, of the Marcus amphitheater and panic at the disco comes on and this probably won't surprise you, but it blew my mind at the time. There was a group of, let's call them young people. Let's call them, you know, eight, 18 year olds or so Youth. 16, 17, yeah. 16, 17, 18. Yeah. They pulled out their phone and recorded the entire thing. It wasn't like for one song or this yeah. is my favorite part or taking yeah. selfies. They literally watched the entire concert recording with their phone in front of their face. Yeah. Like I am not above, rec I, what I do is I record, usually record like snippets of my favorite songs. Sure. Like yeah. I see Bush and I'm like, I'm going to record the first 30 seconds of chemicals between us. Cause yeah. it's an amazing light show. And I love that guitar riff. Yeah. Yeah. Then the phone's going away to, to rock out, you know, for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I'm fine with phones being gone. 
I went to a show here in Austin um, at this venue, Come and Take It, which is the venue that Raw was going to play. Um, and I saw this band, 10 Years, who I really enjoy. And there was this woman up front the entire fucking show. And I could see this because I was in the balcony and the balcony is kind of on the side of the stage. So I'm like perpendicular to her. So she is front row dead center. And the entire show, she has her back to the stage. And she's filming the show like through the selfie camera so she can like be in it or whatever. But she's literally not like I thought it was a joke at first. But she's not, she's doing like duck lips and everything for the entire show, like right in front of the singer, back to the singer, phone up the whole time. And you could tell he was not thrilled about it, but he, you know, they finish the primary set. They, you know, take off, they leave the stage, the encore happens, dude comes out and he gives a very eloquent, diplomatic, nice, he didn't, he didn't like point at her, but like it was, this message was very specific to her. He's like, we're going to play one more song. It would mean a lot to me in the band if everyone could just be present in the moment. If we all agree to like, no one's going to have a cell phone, no pictures, no selfies, no texting, whatever. Like if you want, if we're going to play one more song, can we all agree? No phones. And everyone's like, woo, including her. She's front row going like, yeah, fuck yeah. And as soon as the song starts, she turns her back again and starts recording. And the lead singer just, he's like, doesn't put down the mic or whatever, just leans forward over her shoulder, grabs the camera and just fucking smashes it on the stage. And the whole crowd just fucking erupted. And our move right there. Yeah, I mean, fuck you. Like what? I mean, at that point, that is next level assholery of you to be like, the only acceptable thing I can think of is you don't speak English. And you, for some reason, the country that you come from where you don't speak English encourages you to do that at shows. But short of that, which I'm pretty sure it was not the scenario fuck you. Like, I think she should have been thrown out of the show. Um, I'm just curious, like what the, I, I, don't know, as I was very happy to see that shit happen. Fuck that her woman. phone. Her phone got thrown out of the show. <laughs> All right. Got one more and take it or leave it before we dive into over or under. Hit me. And I'm excited to get your take on this one, especially for the music we follow. These yep. types of tours are everywhere. I don't recall even seeing them, I want to say like 10 years ago. And now yeah. it's like any band that came out in the nineties is doing one of these. I'm talking of course about album anniversary tours. Yes. Just case in point, the gin blossoms are currently on the, their 25th anniversary of new miserable experience where they play the album from beginning to end in order. And they're, I mean, there are literally dozens of bands following this kind of same format. Oh yeah. How do you sure. feel about that? Like seven does it or leaving it. Uh, I'm going to take it with caveats. <clears throat> and how about you before we expound? I'm on it? going balls deep in it. Oh, I love it. You're taking yeah, it. I love way. it. Okay. But like the gin blossoms example is that's the album that has like all the fucking hits, right? Yes. Yes. So like seven dust is on their animosity tour right now. The tour that we're doing for Raw is technically the 20th anniversary of from one that the album that has, do you call my name on it? Like, I know certain bands like better than Ezra is a band that comes to mind. I love better than Ezra. They're great, but certain albums are definitely better than others. And that's probably the case for most bands. They do this for all their albums. Like they'll celebrate an anniversary of any album and go out and do a tour. And usually it's like, yes, we're going to play the full album front to back. And then whether it's the encore, or just the last five songs of the show are going to be like the hits. Um, I would more than likely not attend some of those shows, you know, like, there's 
there are many of my favorite, even Foo Fighters. Like there's at least one Foo Fighter album that like if they toured and it was like, we're going to do this album front to back, like I would think very strongly about not going. So how do you feel about like, it's not even like a deep cut album, but like yeah, doing yeah. an album anniversary tour for an album that is absolutely not their best album. Yeah, I, I should be clear with these. When you look at the set list, they, I mean, generally albums are usually in like that 40 to 50 minute range. Yeah. So the, it's not like they just walk off the stage after that and they usually do supplement it with some, with some other music. Yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. So like Third Eye Blind did its debut album, 20th anniversary. And I swear to that was, I've seen them 20 times and that was my absolute favorite show. Oh, cool. It's like, I'd kind of forgotten how much, just how much I love that debut album and how every song it's like, God, you know, thank God they, you know, they put this on the set list this time is how it would feel if they were playing some of those sure. deep cuts on, on other shows. Yeah. Uh, trying to think of an example like yours. Yeah. It was like if Oasis reformed and they're like, we're doing our last album, dig out your soul from 2008, <laughs> you'll be lucky to get four tracks from what's the story morning glory. I'd sure. be like, Wow, that would be, you don't see that too often. Bands are usually smart enough to play like, oh, this one made us or this was our top sure. seller or whatever. Yeah, like if Bush, um, if Bush yeah. now toured on 16 Stone in this format, absolutely would go see it. And if they're like, we're doing Golden State cover to cover, it'd be yes. like hard, hard, hard pass. Hard right. pass. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. It, but bands need to realize that, you know, we, I check the set list all the time and they, for most bands, it doesn't vary too much. So I can kind of see, I kind of do the same thing now where it's like, wow, they're playing a lot of like the mid era stuff that I'm really not that into. Maybe I'm not that excited to go Yeah. or like, um, you know, I, I'm just throwing out an example. I don't even know if they're doing this, but like, if I looked at the set list for breaking Benjamin and it was like half songs from the, you know, that acoustic album they had just put out last yep. and only a few from you know, the, the first couple, I bet, I don't know, you know, if they're, especially if they're like playing in Milwaukee, I got to drive from Madison. Sure, sure. That's going to play like the set list does play a big role. Yeah, for sure. And this is a, here's, here's how I would put a bow on it. Like this kind of locks in, like, I know the set list is going to kick ass. I've been waiting to hear some of these songs for, for years and now for sure they're going to play. So take it. I, I, this is, I already know that you take it, but like I would do it, take it or leave it looking up the set list before a show. I never do that. Like, oh, I love it. I hate do that. I feel like that's just, I don't, why do you love, I mean, I, I understand loving knowing that you're going to go see a show that's full of the songs that you like. Yeah. And like, and then I guess that, you know, the potential of avoiding a show that you don't want to go to. Um, the only thing I, the only example I can think of of a show like that is I saw Smashing Pumpkins in like 2015. So like, well, well after their prime and it was a hundred percent new shit and it was not good and if i knew that ahead of time i i would not have gone um but for the most part like i like i want to be surprised so i can give you a good example of why i think it's better it's better to be surprised if it's a band you really like it's like oh yeah this one oh yeah that one yep so i went uh to a dave matthews band show and I am like the DMB fans, like worst nightmare. Cause sure. I'm, it's like, I want to hear crash and ants marching. Yeah. Satellite. I don't, to be frank, I don't give a shit about like the rest of their catalog, the sure. way those fans do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, so I, you know, I've got to take a couple of bathroom breaks during this show. 
can you like imagine if I went to the bathroom like during crash into me? It's like I'm just gonna take a look at this set list because I don't want to leave right now it. and then miss like the 15 minutes or whatever I'm actually gonna enjoy about this sure. show. I get it. I get that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, yeah, I'm a hardcore leave it on that one for me. He's leaving it. Yes. All right, over or under. So I'm gonna give you a number of something, and then you need to pick. Do you prefer less than that or do you prefer over than that? Okay. Four beers before a show. Is that, is that the right number or will you go below or above that? In like an hour? Yeah, I'm just saying like, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but like your, your friends come over, the show's starting at eight, they're coming over for some drinks. Yeah. Yeah. If you have over four, are you like, oh shit, I'm not going to remember this or under four. You're like, uh, no, I need a little bit more, a little more juice. I'm going to take it, but I'm six, three and weigh 230 pounds and am a seasoned drinker. So I, I could, I would completely understand for those who, who leave it, but I'll, I'll take so it. You're going, you're going over, over. over yes. Sorry. Over. Yes. Over new game, Dave, new game. Also that, I mean, there's just an economic thing there. Like, you know, i if I walk in with four beers in me, then I I'm inclined to get less of the $12 beers at the Sylvie or whatever. $12 beer night at the rave. <laughs> four beers during a show. Hold on. What about you over or under? I'm under. Okay. Like I'm under three. I, I want to be, here's the thing. I want to be peaking like halfway through that show. Ideally. I, re- I rarely can pull this off, gotcha. but it's so, like, so, I want to so, be floating on cloud nine, like sure. an hour into the headliner. So being wasted on cake vodka out of a Diet Coke can uh, before a show is yeah. probably but, not, not the best. My lizard brain believes it loved that show, but my conscious <laughs> brain has no idea really what happened. Okay. All right. So four beers during a show. Yeah. Um, if getting to a bathroom is not problematic, then I'll do, that's like right in the middle. I don't think I want more than four beers, but like, I'm absolutely going to have to pee in, you know, two and a half hours if, um, if I'm drinking four beers. So if I have like really awesome spots in general admission, or, you know, I have to make 20 people get up, if I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'm fine with just like starting the show with my two drinks and then just staying there the whole show. It is amazing how much bathroom <laughs> bathroom strategy comes into play. I'm especially <laughs> thinking of places like Summerfest. Like if you're in the yeah. midst oh, of like yeah. a very crowded throng, like they have that BMO Harris uh, pavilion, you know, yeah. and it's like, if you're on the wrong side away from the bathrooms, you're talking like a 15, 20 minute trip. And not like even that, like the other stuff, like where you like, you're just like boxing out on a fucking picnic table or something you know, you lose your spot and yeah. 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 So it can be a major fucking hassle. Um, I, I've never done this before. I don't have plans to do this before, but I wouldn't necessarily shame someone. So there's something called a stadium pal. Are you familiar with that? No, it's, I want to know more. It's basically like a catheter that you like tuck oh into your, God. that you tuck into your sock. Um, <laughs> so that you can just piss into a bag that, but it, the hose is like in your, in your fucking urethra. This is the so. pullout clip. This is the pullout clip for the podcast. <laughs> but that's like, for, about it's li- how to piss into your stock. I mean, it's like literally called a stadium fan because it's for the most hardcore. It's for those guys who go to the, you know, maybe even a double header game. And there's the guys that like sit there with the stat cards and can't even yeah. imagine missing a moment of I'm amazed incredibly boring baseball. 
speaking of Summerfest, the gates open at noon and the headliners going at 10, 10 PM. Yep. There's always people that like lock in like that first row. They're like there at noon. And I'm like, how, how is that physically possible? Yeah. I did that when I was in like seventh and eighth grade for like if stabbing Westward was coming, like there's no way I'm impacts. not front row. Yeah. Um, no, you got, you go, you get a system, you go with friends, they box out, you know, they stand with a wide stance, whatever there's a system. Uh, but in general, yeah, I will not sacrifice, um, I'm there first and foremost for the show. So the idea of being like, I need to get more $12 beers. If that has any impediment on the enjoyment of the show or, or where I'm standing or being with my friends or whatever, no, fuck it. So under, under is the answer. I'm over. Really? really? That's because that's because I was so well-behaved before the show. But then what about all the factors that I just talked about? Like guaranteed you're going to have to like, you know, go to the bathroom. Yeah, but I, I got to be peaking. I got to be peaking the same time the band's peaking. Okay, sounds good. All right, over or under one hour and 45 minutes, headliner set time. I feel like I chose that because I feel like that's kind of the industry standard from attending shows for decades. About one hour, 45 minutes. I've seen Dave Matthews band where it was evening with Dave, Dave Matthews and they yeah. played for three hours. Yeah. And then I saw Liam Gallagher his last time in the United States checked in at about 59 minutes. Uh, I feel like those are the kind of the two extremes, I, excluding uh, other jam bands, uh, which I'm not that familiar with. But one hour, 45 minutes feels like right in the middle for about most of the acts I've seen. Do you prefer a shorter show or do you prefer just like an epic, let's go for it, Titanic length? So I, de- I definitely feel like cheated or whatever. I feel like I didn't get what I showed up for if it's in the neighborhood of an hour for a headlining band, especially one that has at least more than at least two albums, even if you have one album, you can probably do more than an hour. So um, hour 45, I'm, I'm going to say over. Uh, I've been to some of those three hour shows, even before being on the verge of 40, like standing for three hours sucks, man. Like, um, so if it's like at like a theater, like if I'm at the Paps or Riverside and I can sit down at a certain point, uh, fucking go for it. Like if, if the band can keep up the stand on the energy and bring it, then play as long as you like, as long as I have the option to sit down at a certain point. I agree. I'm, I'm over as well. I mean, this is a total cop out, but obviously like the more I love a band and I wish, I wish the bands I really do love, like followed the Dave Matthews. And this, this is going to lead into my, to my next, uh, category here, but it's like, I, I love band. I love if my, some of my favorite bands would do more like the evening with, I feel like they allot sure. so much time to the opening acts. And then, you know, you have to get in under city's curfew and all that. Um, but yeah, I, if I, if the band is, is, you know, can maintain the energy and, and I, and I'm loving the music, then I'm all about like, let's, let's do three hours. I'm fine with it. Does an evening with usually imply that there is no opener? That's what I've seen. And that's probably, that's probably like a Ticketmaster Live Nation invention sure. or something that yeah. they've done over the years. It makes sense. I, I see that more than I've ever seen it before. Yeah. I saw Paul McCartney headlined um, Austin City Limits here three years ago. And yeah, it was, it was pretty much three hours. That dude's older yep. than my mom. Yeah. I saw um, Paul at uh, Miller Park. Yeah. And it was, it was probably over like a tad over three hours. Just him. I- I've never seen a show there and I feel like it would suck. 
It does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I've heard of like, you know, Pearl Jam plays Wrigley all the time. I was like, that seems terrible. Like I love Pearl Jam, but like, fuck that, man. Like it seems much more about like the volume of people and the history of the place that they're playing, but like, holy shit, man. Like that's yeah, not a great place unless you're like directly in front of the stage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like when, when big bands come close to like last time Foo Fighters were here or like I saw Muse, we have a, one of the only formula one racetracks in America is in Austin. Yeah. Austin. And it's called circuit of the Americas and it's about 20 minutes outside of like the downtown area. And it's a huge, 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 huge venue. And I've seen shows from the grass. Like I saw Allison chains and corn and some other stuff out there fucking hate it in the grass. Like, it, you know, it's like at Alpine Valley or, or Marcus or whatever, like <clears throat> if it's easier to see the screens than the actual stage, as far as I'm concerned, like I'm not at the show. Like I, I might as well just like be at home watching this yeah, on TV. You end up watching. Have you gone to an F1 race there? Uh, no, I would love to. It's such a coveted thing. Um, it, you know, it can be like a, a thousand bucks to go. The Miami tickets are like four or $5,000. Yeah, you don't know this yet, but I'm an F1 convert. Is it because of the Netflix show? Yes. I binge watch drive to survive. And so obviously I'm into sports, but not car racing. I've never, I had never willingly watched more than five seconds of any kind of race that's on TV. Like it was only my ability to hit the remote fast enough to get away from that. Is it fair to assume that 98% of that has been turning left four times NASCAR stuff? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Understood. Have you seen drive to survive? I saw, I saw the first season and I started watching it while filming my e or while recording my EP with Sahaj because he wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. And I was honest with him. I was like, I have no connection to this whatsoever. You put a gun in my mouth and say, name one F one racer or your brains are going to be on that wall. I would be dead. And <clears throat> I don't know anything about the sport. I don't even know why it's called F one. And he's like, this is, this show is the gateway. And so I'm not like a huge F1 fan, but I have a totally different appreciation for it and enjoyment of it from watching yeah. that first season. And I want to, uh, I want to watch more, but it's just they like such a they different renamed it, uh, Yeah. They could have renamed it billionaires behaving badly. <laughs> like I just love, I forget if it's the first season, but the dude who owns like the force India team, yeah. it's like they do a full feature episode on him. And then like two episodes later, like he's in prison now right. <laughs> and had to sell his team. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what's going on off the track is yeah. uh, even more entertaining, certainly than what's on. Anyway, that's, that's going to be a, di it's a different podcast. When I, when I go to the F1 track for a show, I it's, I'm either spending the dumb amount of money to be right up front where like, you don't even know, because when I saw Foo Fighters, there's like four rows from the stage. You don't, and it's kind of cool to like turn around and see like 45,000 people behind you. Um, it's like, all in or nothing for me when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah, totally agree. I don't, I never want to be in the last row of a, you know, of a stadium or a show yeah. again. Yeah, for sure. All right. 2.5 opening acts. Two. So, <laughs> so do you prefer, like if you see the bill and it's like, there's two opening acts or do you like it when it's like a more of a festival and there's a bunch of them? Uh, Le I, the, I want less. You want I less. Want, oh yeah. So you're sure. under. Yes. Under. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Yeah. I, this has totally changed. We kind of touched on it last episode when it's like when you're 18 or whatever, you want to get the most bang for your buck. Sure. And like, I'd see, however, you know, whatever opening acts there were for matchbox 20, let's say 
I'd immediately go buy their CD and become like the biggest fan. Like I just made that $40 feel like it goes so far. Like I'm into one of the case in point, I saw Lifehouse, Maroon 5, and then Matchbox 20. Back when those bands both had their first CDs out, like Hanging by a Moment had just sure. come out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I was like, yeah, this is awesome, you know? Now it would be like in whatever modern equivalent of those bands would be like, I'd rather just see Branking Benjamin, like we talked about for like three hours, you know, um, no disrespect to any young up and comers, but I'd probably, you know, still be at my, at the bar having my under four beers until I, until I got to see them. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last one, 4.5 band members. What's the right amount of band members Four or under or five and above is the question. Oh, interesting. It's like, didn't Foo Fighters start with like four and now they have like nine. It just seems that way to me. Yeah. So they have, well, you know, Taylor passed. Yeah. Um, speaking of which I got tickets to the, they're doing a, uh, like a Taylor Hawkins tribute thing the first week of September at the forum in LA with like, a billion special guests. So I got those yeah, tickets. Liam Gallagher today. is going to be there. So I'm excited. Come, come to the show, man. Let's do it. When is that? Uh, the first week of September. Oh, I'll have a one month old. That, that's the Love perfect it. time to take a bring them out. Yeah. There you go. Um, <clears throat> so I don't think it matters. I, I'm trying to think of exceptions. So like, I've never liked the polyphonic spree, but like they literally have like 20 members and I think it's absurd. Slipknot has nine members. I think that if you saw, or not saw, because I think there there is actually something really cool about seeing like all nine dudes on stage doing their thing. There's like a spectacle to it. But if like, if they put out an album with like six instead of nine, I would think most people would have no, and probably if even if they did four instead of nine, they wouldn't. Because it's like, they have a DJ and two percussionists like hitting kegs and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Um, Bands seem to really expand as they, I can think of very specific examples, but they seem to add members as they go on for the most part. I'm even, I'm including even like bringing down backup singers or a horn section. Certainly didn't start with the horn section. All of a sudden they have right. like a trumpet and trombone. Yeah. Um, I'm counting that as a quote unquote band member for live performances. It's really rare that like, I don't for the most, except for the only band I can think of is, is called Royal blood. Um, I've never been into the two man band thing, white stripes, black keys. Um, yeah. I, I rarely care for that kind of music. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it tends to like accompany a certain style of music as well, but it's just like, there is a sonic emptiness to that, that I'm not on board with. Um, but muse is a three man band and I saw them at that circuit of America's track and they like, dude, they're up. I mean, it was an incredible top three shows of all time. Um, they have so much energy and power and charisma that like, it felt like, you know, an army. Well, I was, th I was thinking like green day, like three members and it sound like they can fill a stadium. No problem. They can yeah. fill a stadium louder than bands with like eight, you know, eight musicians in it. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I don't, I don't have a, a specific answer. I, I think two is too little. And I think over six starts to become just purely aesthetic and not necessary. Um, but I, I appreciate that in a live setting that if you have like three backup singers, 
like I've seen bands that have two drummers, like Joe Bonamassa is this uh, modern blues guitarist that I fucking absolutely love. Like he's done tours where there's two drummers and they're basically playing the exact same thing. And it's more so just like the spectacle of like having two dudes on two drum sets. And it's like, it's not necessary. So, yeah. So your answer would be just the, the, the right amount, the necessary amount. Sure. Yeah. Band but a, a three man band can be fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, and a six-man band can be a sloppy mess. So we'll we'll put you down for under. Cool, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, that's that wraps up the categories. That's been another exciting episode of the '90s Rock Podcast with my good friend and all-around solid dude, Dave Perry. I appreciate that. Most people think I'm a massive, vapid piece of shit, so I appreciate the stamp of approval uh, from you. Uh, thanks for listening to the Mind Mill Podcast with Dave Perry and Rob. Thank you for for having me on and being on my show. I really like this kind of shared format thing. It's it's very enjoyable. I always enjoy talking to you. And um, let's do it again soon. Let's do it. I'm All down. Right. Love you. Later. Bye. 